While we're standing together, if you would join me in turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter number three, we're going to dig in to this entire chapter just for the short time that we have this morning. And uh, I want to preach to you about the priorities of pastoral care, the priorities of pastoral care. Now, I'm not going to be speaking to you about doing funerals and doing weddings and um, these types of forms of pastoral care. But this is the question that I have for you concerning your ministry that you're preparing for and that you're already involved with here. I, I I want you to ask this question, what is it that I care about? What, what are the priorities of the things that I care about as God has called me and is using me in ministry? Because let me just be very honest with you. The things that you most deeply care about are the things that are going to shape your philosophy of ministry. The things that keep you up at night, that you're praying for, that you're weeping over, that your heart is gravitating toward, these are the things that are going to unmarkedly shape your ministry and how you approach it. And so I'm excited to look into Philippians chapter number three and really look at four key things that I believe Paul shares with us that he was concerned with as he approached his call to ministry. So let's dig right in this morning, Philippians chapter three. We're going to read this entire chapter. We'll be standing for a little bit of time, but I'll read quickly. If you'll listen quickly, do you make that deal with me this morning? And we'll get through this. I love the word of God. Let's begin in verse number one. The Bible says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. 
For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word and we're thankful for how it instructs us. And we're thankful, Lord, that it does not call us toward vanity or towards purposelessness. But Heavenly Father, we can care about real things that will matter into eternity. And Lord, as we examine your words this morning, I pray that you would work on our hearts and that you would begin to develop within our lives a firm, rooted convictions that will guide us and lead us in the direction that you would desire for us in ministry. We ask your help with these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What do you care about in ministry? Now, this, this has to be an exciting time for you. If, if you're called to ministry... And you're here at West Coast Baptist College to plan and prepare for ministry. This must be a thrilling time for you. I would imagine that perhaps as you leave chapel and you go to your job and you come back and perform those areas of service that you perform while you're functioning and serving here at the church, I, I would imagine that what goes through your mind are the thoughts, what am I going to do when I am the pastor of a church? What am I going to do? When I'm a missionary on the foreign field, what are the things that I care about as far as developing the ministries that God has called me to? And I'm sure there are many of you that you probably stay up at night, you're talking with your buddies, your friends, and you're contemplating various forms of ministries that you've seen. You're discussing deep theological concerns and you're thinking, okay, how am I going to teach and how am I going to preach and what are going to guide those things? as I begin to step out in the ministries that God has called me to. And I hope that you do that with zeal and with passion. I hope that when you get into conversations, sometimes they're even heated and you're debating different things and you're wondering, well, why did so-and-so do this in ministry? And why is someone doing this in ministry? And what are the things that God is going to have me do in ministry? But above all, what I hope that you're doing is that you're looking at the Word of God. And above all, what I hope that you're doing is you are getting discernment from God's word concerning what God has already positioned for us to be caring about and to be concerned about as we begin to develop in ministry and develop our ministry that we're called to. So what should we care about? Well, there's, there's probably an inexhaustible list of things that we should care about, but I find four things in Philippians chapter number three that are pretty consistent things that Paul mentions at various different times throughout the epistles that he writes. And so I want to key in on these things this morning. And the first thing that I see, if we are going to have care in ministry towards the things that God cares about, is we need to care about this, first of all, that our ministry is handled and conducted within the context of joy. Hey, you should enjoy being a Christian. How many of you believe that when God saved you, you became a new creature? I mean, think about this for a moment. Old things are passed away 
and behold, all things are become new. Now, if that's not something to get excited about, and if that's not something to have joy concerning, then I don't know what is. But we must frame our ministry within the context of joy. Notice as Paul is concluding his letter to the church of Philippi here in chapter 3. He begins his conclusion with this statement. Notice with it in verse number 1. Finally, my brethren, and notice this, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The first thing that I want to draw attention to concerning framing our ministry within the context of joy is this. For a Christian, notice this. Joy should be our default setting. Why? Because we're commanded to be joyful. And I would submit this to you this morning. We are not commanded to do anything by God that he does not equip us to be able to do. How many of you believe that this morning? He's not called us to take the gospel into all the world and then not given us the power to be able to do that. And he has not called us to frame our ministries within the context of joy and then not given us his spirit and the rejuvenation of a new life in him to be able to have joy in the things that we do for God. Our ministry should be framed within the context of joy. There is no greater person probably in all of the Bible to write about having joy in ministry than the Apostle Paul. How many of you know he's qualified to write to us concerning be joyful in your ministry? You know what Paul's saying to you? He's saying, hey, you want to know something? I was beaten and I was thrown into prison. In fact, I spent the greater part of my ministry behind bars. And I want you to understand this. I was mocked and I was cruelly treated. And how many of you know that the Apostle Paul even gave his life for the cause of his ministry? And so if there's anybody who could speak to us this morning about having joy in ministry, it should be the Apostle Paul. Man, he went through it. You know what he's telling you? He's saying, hey, when you wake up early in the morning and you have to put your backpack together and you have to march off to class, even though you're tired and you've had a long week, have joy in doing it, says Paul behind a prison cell. Because he's speaking, not just, he's speaking truth because he's speaking the word of God, but he's speaking out of a context of a life that had joy. I mean, think about it for a moment. He and his partner Silas were in the innermost part of the prison. And what were they doing? They were singing praises to God. Paul has to deal with some hard things as he writes to many of the churches in the New Testament. He's going to have to address issues where he's going to have to be confrontational. And yet in almost every letter that he writes to the churches, he describes the joy that he has concerning them. And the joy that he has in his calling to be a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul here, as he writes and concludes his letter to the church of Philippi, he says, Hey, I'm commanding you, brethren, have your ministry be done in the context of joy. Hey, listen, a minister who cannot minister in joy will not be ministered to by his own ministry. Can, can I just tell you something? Ministry isn't all like glum and man, I got to put my foot down and man, this is so hard and I'm getting persecuted. We don't even know what persecution is. 
We have no clue or concept. And we complain and we murmur and we allow ourselves to get bitter and we compare ourselves among ourselves and we think we're poorly treated. And can I tell you something? If you're a believer, you're in the best position you could possibly be in. You are saved. You are a child of the King. And I'll tell you what, if you're called to ministry, you're even in a better position because you get to walk hand in hand with the Spirit of God as He guides you into ministry. It's a joy to serve our Savior. We see that we need to minister within the context of joy. Joy should be our default setting. And joy should not be dictated by our circumstances. If Paul's joy was dictated by his circumstances, he would have been a really sour guy. And many times we walk around like we've been sucking on a dill pickle all day long. We can't smile. We can't rejoice. Hey, when was the last time you caught yourself singing? Not not in chapel, not in church, but in the shower. I remember when we first moved into our condo in Oxnard, California, as we were planning a church in Camarillo, California. Um, We were getting our, our, our roots down. We were kind of figuring things out. And I remember one morning, I'm in the shower, and uh I was just overjoyed with what God was doing. I was just singing amazing grace in the shower. I mean, I was belting it out. It was probably the best I'd ever sung in my life. I was enjoying just some time with the Lord and I'm singing it out. And I get out of the shower and I start to dry off. And I noticed that my bathroom window was open about that far. I'm thinking to myself, I was singing pretty loud. I I wonder if I hope nobody heard me as I was singing out. Well, I I get my clothes on, I walk outside, and I'm getting ready to get my car to do some door knocking that day. And as I'm walking to my car, my neighbor comes out of the house and says, Hey, I heard you singing, you're pretty good. (laughs) I didn't really know what to say, but I had tracks in my hand because I was ready to go to, and I said, Hey, let me tell you what I was singing about. And I handed them a track. They were at our very first Bible study we ever had as we were planning the church. And you know what? We don't, listen. I wonder how many opportunities we miss to be used by God because we're not overcome in joy as we're ministering for him. Sometimes we don't need to stand behind a pulpit and preach the entirety of the gospel. Sometimes we just need to sing real loud in the shower and God will carry that to our neighbor and give us the opportunity to explain the joy that we have in our Savior. And we can do a lot of things in our own strength and our own power, but unmarketedly, we're going to find the best results that we have in ministry done within the context of the joy that God has given to us. Does not the book of Jeremiah tell us in the Old Testament, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We should be filled with joy. I want us to notice Paul as he writes concerning uh, joy here and framing our ministry in the context of joy. I want us to understand he's about ready to warn the church about something. In verse 3, he's going to say, beware. In many other epistles, he's going to say, hey, these are some evil dudes that you have in your church. You're going to have to address this issue and you're going to have to deal with the sin that's there. These are things that we would consider to not be very pleasant things. How many of you are like me and it's not your most favorite thing in the world to have to confront somebody? 
It's not, hey, listen, we don't want to have to go to somebody and talk about a sinful moment. We don't have to go to somebody and be the Debbie Downer, so to speak, of the church and bring up all the stuff that needs to be dealt with. You know, we kind of want to just sweep that under the rug and we just kind of want to move on. And we live in this world of a Christian culture of positive thinking where nobody's a sinner and everybody's got a champion in them. And I'm just saying that we can even have joy as we're dealing with things that are unpleasant. I believe this, Paul found as much joy in preaching the gospel as he did in defending the gospel. When we think of ministry, we think, man, how big is my church going to grow? How am I going to appeal to the audience of my community? What things are, am I going to do so that we can be cool and so that we can be attractive and so that we can get people in? And if all we focus on and if the only context that we can have joy in in our ministry is when we are building and growing and going and people are liking us, then let me tell you something. We're not going to do some of the necessary things that need to be done in ministry, such as confronting sin. Such as remaining pure, such as preaching the whole counsel of God. And when we find joy in all of the things that God has called us to do, then we will be faithful to do all the things that God has called us to do. So we find that there is a context of joy that needs to frame our ministry. Secondly, I want us to see as we're discovering the priorities of pastoral care. Yes, frame your ministry in joy, but also we need to have a consistent message. How many of you know our world needs stability today? Our families need stability today. Our churches need stability today. They need to be, hey, listen, we don't need to be hearing new things. We need to be hearing the same thing. Over and over and over and over and over again. You say, well, that sounds boring. Well, let's, let's look at how Paul viewed this. Notice with me in verse number one again. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you is safe. What is he saying? I'm writing to you things you've already heard. How many of you have already heard this message before? Like, how many of you knew where Philippians 3 was before you got there this morning? How many of you knew that Paul talked about joy in the book of Philippians before? How many of you knew that we needed to confront false teaching? Hey, you already know this stuff, but can I just firmly tell you this? You need to hear it again. People need to hear the truth over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's why I believe you should have many services throughout the week at your church, not just Sunday morning. I believe that we need to engage in discipleship. I believe that we need to have classes for people. I believe that we need to be getting people the truth over and over and over. But I'll tell you, there's a spirit that has crept into the modern church today. And it's what new thing can I discover to perk people's interests? And by the way, that's what the word of God said would happen in the last days as apostasy sets into the church. He said there would be people who would not be hungry for the truth. They would despise the truth, but they would gather to themselves many teachers having itching ears. And that's what's going on in our culture today. Hey, listen, on the Internet or through podcasts, I can download and listen to a thousand preachers in a week if I wanted to. And it seems like there's a competition. Well, what new series am I going to have? Well, how am I going to frame this series? Well, how can I come up with some kind of new context to put this verse in? And can I tell you, we run the risk, the severe risk 
of perverting and diluting the word of God when we don't just stick with the truth day in and day out. Can I just tell you something? The truth still works today. The Bible is still true today. And as Paul writes to this church, he doesn't say, hey, listen, I know you've heard a lot of this before, so I'm really stretching here and trying to come up with something that will perk your fancies. But he says, it is not a grievous thing for me to write the same thing to you again. And in many of the epistles that he writes, he says, the gospel which has already been delivered to you which you have received and wherein you stand. Listen, we don't have to get fancy. We don't have to get cute. We have to be truthful. We need to boldly and repeatedly proclaim the word of God. Now, listen, I don't I don't try to preach the same message every week. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that every message we preach should contain the same truth from God's word. We see a consistent message. Notice the reason why we need consistency in our message. Verse number one again at the end. It is safe for you. As we contemplate our care and concern about our ministry, let me ask you this. The ministry that you have planned in your mind, the things that you're going to do in your ministry, the way that you're going to grow, the way that you're going to preach. Let me ask you a question. Is it going to be a safe ministry? Is it going to be a ministry where someone who's a member of your church is going to be able to invite a lost neighbor or a lost loved one and they're not going to just come in and see a dog and pony show, but they're going to get the truth of God's word? Is that going to be your ministry? Is it going to be safe? Let me ask you a question. Your independent fundamental Baptist church that you're going to go out and plant someday Is it going to be the kind of church that when you get somebody saved and when you see them grow in your church and they have to move away from your church, are they going to seek out another independent Bible-believing fundamental Baptist church? Say, why is that important? I believe it's important because doctrine is important. And today I think that we're lowering the bar concerning the things we should be concerned and caring about as we enter into ministry in the Word of God. Is the ministry that you are going to start or participate in or serve in, will it be a safe ministry? Will it be a ministry that holds the doctrinal purity of God's word high? Will it be a ministry that the gospel is regularly preached? Will it be a ministry that sin is preached against frequently and fervently from God's word? Will it be a ministry where people are getting saved? So we see that we need to have a consistent message. Secondly, and a great part of this chapter deals with, I believe, a primary care and concern we should have in our ministry, and that is having a confidence in Christ. Now, we're not going to take time to reread this whole chapter of Scripture. You're probably very familiar with it. But here in the middle section of this passage of Scripture, Paul illustrates how important it is not to rely on ourselves in ministry. You should not rely, listen, solely on your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your know-how and your experience and what you believe it is that you're going to do. Hey, listen, when you get into ministry, everything gets shook up. There's chaos in ministry. How many of you would say there's sometimes chaos in my life today, like now? 
Like, I'm having a hard time focusing on you because I'm thinking of all the chaos that's coming after we exit the doors here this morning. There's chaos. I remember our first Bible study that we had was a disaster. I mean, it was appallingly a disaster. Um, we, We did a good job. We were out. Like I said, I was even singing in the shower and handing out tracks, okay? But we were doing a good job getting the message out. We were inviting people to come to our first Bible study that we were holding in our home. Uh, one, of the, one of the people that, that said that they were going to come was a checkout clerk at a grocery store that uh, my wife and I handed a gospel tract to and said, come to our first Bible study. And man, we're excited about it. We had several commitments to come. We were expecting about 16 in attendance that first evening for our Thursday evening Bible study. And we were ready for them. Since it was in our home, we were planning to serve some cookies and serve some, some coffee and serve some tea. And then the countdown was on. And, and it was even more exciting because we got a phone call from the lady that we'd given a track to at the grocery store. And she said, hey, I'd like to come to your Bible study, but I don't have a car. I don't have a ride. Can you pick me up and bring me to your Bible study? Now, this was about 45 minutes before our Bible study was to take place. And we were so excited. We said, sure, but I couldn't pick her up because, you know, I'm not going to pick up a, a lady on my own and bring her to Bible study. So I sent my wife out to pick her up. So I'm in charge now of the cookies and the kids. You can see where this is going. And so my wife takes off and she's ready to go. And, and she goes to pick up this lady from her apartment and bring her to the Bible study. Well, uh, I'm there with the kids and, uh, you know, it's not too big of a deal. Uh, I've made the cookie dough the way that my wife told me to. I'm, I'm putting it on the pan. I stick it in the oven and I, I let it go. And, and the kids are, are behaving themselves. I mean, it's just awesome. I just can tell this Bible study is going to be amazing. And so some time goes along and the oven dings and I look in there and I'm like, well, these don't look like they're done yet. I, I, I took the toothpick out, right? I poked the middle of it. It came out. There was still some stuff on it. I tasted it. And I was like, it's not done. I got to put them back in. Well, the problem was I put them back in and I forgot to set the timer. Well, this is when the baby started having issues and this is when the other child started having issues and I was having to intervene with them and there were some messes that needed to be cleaned up that I wasn't expecting to be cleaned up because they'd gotten into some things and, 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 and now I'm starting to stress a little bit and I'm forgetting about the cookies. Well, my wife, she's having her own ordeal. She picks up this lady from her apartment and praise God, not only is it the lady, but she, the lady, decides she wants to bring her mother with her. So they get in the car uh, or they come out to the parking lot to get in the car. And my wife drives around because her mother has a cane and can't walk real well. And so my wife drives around. And just as my wife drives around, another car comes around my wife in the parking lot real fast. And listen, nobody dies. okay? so I don't want to. Nobody dies. But this old lady gets run over by the car. You guys don't have a class about that, right? You don't know. What do you do? And... So here's my wife. The lady's in the back of the car and the old lady's run over by a car. Now, praise God, the old lady gets up. And she's mad. And she takes her cane and she throws it at the car. And so my wife gets out and checks her over, helps her with her cane, but she's bleeding from her head. And my wife's like, let me call an ambulance. We got to make sure that you're okay. And the, the lady in the back says, don't call the ambulance. We don't have our insurance yet. So my wife's like, I don't know what to do. She says, can you take us to the hospital? My wife's like, okay. 
So the lady gets in the car. My wife takes her to the hospital. Bible study has now started at my home. People are coming. Where's my wife? I don't know. She's left her cell phone at home. I have no way to get a hold of her. People are coming. And I am kind of freaking out. And I'm wondering what's going on. I get the kids put in the room. I'm greeting people as they're coming in. We have a packed house that night. We were expecting 16. We had about 18 coming. So they're starting to filter in. I'm shaking their hand. They're wondering what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I don't know where my wife is. 15 minutes go by. I'm just chatting with these people, finding out about them. You know, when my wife gets here, I'll introduce her to you. And all of a sudden, we start smelling something coming from the kitchen. Hey, listen, the cookies weren't burnt. They were on fire. Like on fire. Like real flames. I've never, I've never been in a situation where my oven's been on fire. I think I'm going to open the door and throw some water in it. I open the door, it gets a new burst of oxygen. Maybe you remember from your science class what oxygen does with fire. (laughs) (laughs) I look behind me at my Bible study. (laughs) Sitting in the chairs in our living room, their eyes this big. I felt like turning around and saying, if you died tonight, are you sure you'd be (laughs) alive? It may have been effective. I don't know. We get the fire put out. My wife gets home. We have a five-minute lesson. The lady my wife picks up gets saved that night. Craziness happens. I had it all planned out. We had cookies. We had coffee. We had tea. We were ready to go. No, we weren't. Our confidence cannot be in our flesh. God sometimes, can I just be honest with you? God is sometimes going to do things in spite of you. We need him. And Paul gives his resume. He tells how qualified he is. But at the end of the day, what we must understand is our confidence cannot be in our resume. It cannot be in our accolades. It cannot be in our participation trophies that lie in our house. It has to be in the real deal of what God can do through a surrendered person who's being obedient to Him. So we frame the context of our ministry in joy. We have a consistency in our message as we minister. We have our confidence firmly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, we see from Philippians chapter number three that we must have a call for maturity. Hey, I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm glad for every report that I get about people getting saved as the result of the ministry from a church. How many are glad about that? But can I tell you, I I believe this wholeheartedly. The the thing that many times we're missing out on is we're so concerned with growth and how we're going to get people in that sometimes we are very poor in calling people to spiritual maturity. 
We're afraid that if we raise the bar to the level of Scripture that we're going to lose people from our churches. We're afraid that if we conduct ourselves in ministry the way that the Bible leads us to conduct ourselves in ministry and if we share the whole truth with people concerning what sanctification is and what growing in the Spirit is and how we mature as a believer that we're going to scare people off. But can I just tell you something? Our job does not end in the Great Commission at go into the world and preach the gospel. It also says that we are to teach them to observe all things. And so our churches need to be concerned with calling people to maturity. Notice with me as we drop down a bit in Philippians chapter number 3 as Paul continues to address his conclusion to this letter. Notice with me verse number 15. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. Now that's not sinless perfect, but it's speaking specifically about spiritual maturity. How many of you know that God didn't save you to be like you? He saved you to be like Jesus. Romans chapter number 8 tells us that we are predestined not to salvation, but to be conformed to the image of His Son. We are to be sanctified. We are still to be holy. Our aim is Christ. Not a better version of us. So we are to call people to maturity. Hey, can I just firmly tell you this? Listen, our, listen, our church is at Lancaster Baptist Church in Camarillo. We're not running, you know, thousands of people. I praise God for this ministry. I praise God for what God... But he might not do that in your church. You know, you may be in a little town somewhere where you're pastoring 100 people. Or you're pastoring, you know, 50 people. I don't know what God has for you. But to think that you're going to stretch outside of the bounds of what God wants you to do in order to gain people or to gain status or to gain acclaim. Listen, what you're doing is you're compromising people's maturity in the faith that they need to walk in. And let me challenge you with this. Listen, when you're a pastor... When you're a missionary, challenge your people to grow. Challenge them to mature. Challenge them to live holy lives. Challenge them to be separated from the world. Challenge them to see the power of God in them as they become sacrificially obedient to Him. Paul talks about perfection here. Notice with me verse 15. Be thus minded and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Hey, there are some people that they're going to grow and it's going to take time for them to grow and they're not going to mature quickly or right away. How many of you know that we need to have loving kindness and a long-suffering spirit with them? How many, hey, let's just say this. How many of you are glad today you're not the Holy Spirit of God? You know, the weight and burden on me isn't to transform somebody to be like Christ. That's not my job. My job is to preach God's word. My job is to be faithful to present the word of God. It is the Holy Spirit's job to do the work in people's lives to bring them to spiritual maturity. But we are the agent in that in so much as that we deliver to them the truth. That's our responsibility. Are we calling people to maturity? Notice with me verse 16. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. I believe this. We'll have preferential differences. There might be certain ways the church does things that your church won't do things. 
Great, fine. I'm glad for variety. I'm glad for that God uses different people in different ways. But can I tell you what? When people look like Jesus, there are going to be a lot of similarities. And I don't need to get in the specifics of it, but you know what the world looks like and you know why the world does what the world does. And we're called to be separate from it. I believe this. You know, I've, I've, I've been in ministry for a while now. I've been around to many, many different churches. Not every church does things the way Horizon Baptist Church does. I get that. But you know what? I love the fellowship with other pastors that I have who are sticking by the stuff and preaching the word of God and concerned about souls and living separated lives and calling people to spiritual maturity in their churches. And that needs to be a concern and a focus for us. Notice as we continue on, how do I do this? How do I be concerned? How do I properly engage in making sure that the ministry that I work in, the ministry that I'm in charge of, the ministry that I'm called to, that we are a church that are calling people to maturity? Well, notice this. Paul gives some indication here in verse number 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. Now, I want you to know this. I already know that there are students right here. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a church planner. And you're looking online and you're looking at the different pastors and how they conduct themselves and how they preach and what their style is and how their church looks and what decorations they have up and what lighting they use and what music they use. And already right now, as you're planning and preparing your ministry, you're thinking, this is something I'm going to do. This is something that I'm going to do. This is something that I'm going to do. This is something I'm going to do. Why? Because you're marking certain things about individuals. But this is what you need to know. Before you get online and look at perhaps churches that are not going in the right direction, may I remind you that you're at West Coast Baptist College. You're around probably some of the greatest men of God I've ever met in my life. Somebody say amen about that real quick. I, I, just, I just set it up for you to knock out of the park and you blew it. Your teachers are here. They're seeing Listen, I believe that. I'm not saying that. They're not going to give me an extra love offering because I said that this morning, okay? I believe it. I believe that you have in Dr. Chapel probably one of the greatest pastors of our generation in winning people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And before you get off on the internet saying, well, I'm going to do this because it looks cool and I'm going to do this, Paul says, follow me because I'm following Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is it that you're marking? Are you marking someone who planted a church two years ago and now they're running 70,000 and it's because of the different technologies and things that they're using and, and you don't know how long they're... Are you, are you marking someone who's been in the ministry 40 years and been faithful to their wife and been faithful to their congregation and been faithful to preach the word of God and are sending foreign missionaries out all over the world? Hey, listen, I'm telling you what, the word of God is still working today. And there are men of God that are, that are engaged in the work of God that you can mark and that you can follow and that you can learn from. Hey, that's why you're here. Why did you come to West Coast Baptist College? I would tell you why I would come to West Coast Baptist College. It's not because of the auditorium. It's not because of the cool classes and all the things that you have in those classes. It's not because of the great music center that you have and all the different instruments that you have there. Can I tell you the one reason that I would come to West Coast Baptist College is because of the men of God and women of God that work here. Because let me tell you, what you learn in a book is going to be great if you can apply it, but you won't be able to apply it unless you see how to apply it from faithful people who have been doing it for generations. Mark them. Mark them. Hey, the grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence. 
Mark the men and women that God is blessing and has blessed through the longevity of their ministry. Why? Well, notice verse 18. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. I, I want you to key in on that, mind earthly things. Listen, in ministry, we're not called to mind earthly things. We're called to mind heavenly things. And, and listen, can I just be honest with you? And I, I hope this isn't just my opinion. I believe we should be conveying the message of minding heavenly things from everything from our presentation to how we conduct ourselves to how we engage with people to how we preach the word of God. Amen. We shouldn't for one minute give the impression that we're just some kind of flash in the pan, trendy church out there just trying to grow and gain people that will come to our services. We should be engaged in being concerned that our ministry conveys heavenly things. Conveys godly things. Conveys biblical things. There needs to be a call to maturity. Why? Notice verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Can I tell you why you need to grow up in Christ? It's because you're going to see Jesus one day. I believe that that day is going to be very, very soon. It could be today. I believe that with all my heart. I believe we have very limited time. I believe that we need to get serious about what God has called us to. And the way that we get serious about what God has called us to is by not minding earthly things, but minding heavenly things. Who are you marking? Who are you maturing with? Who are you following so that you can mature in your faith? The priorities of pastoral care. What are the things you care about? We should care about framing your ministry in the context of joy. You should care about having a consistent message. You should care about having your confidence in Christ. And you should care about spiritual maturity. These are things you should care about.